This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode features dramatizations and discussions of human dismemberment and animal slaying. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Additionally, please note that there are many variations on the following ancient story. Our version incorporates elements from each to give you the most dramatic retelling possible. The old priest Pausanias made his way up the path to the temple. The steps were getting more difficult to climb every day, but he would not fail in his duties. Zeus demanded sacrifice to be worshipped. If the priests failed, then the king of the gods could smite them all. As he arrived at the temple door, he heard a strange sound from within. Someone was crying out in terrible pain. Cautiously moving forward, Pausanias slowly opened one of the doors to the temple. He peered inside but found that it was too dark to see. He called out for one of the other priests, but received no answer. It was then that he could just barely make something out in the darkness. Two glowing yellow orbs moving toward him. No, not orbs. Eyes. Pausanias let out a scream of his own, then slammed the door shut, turning and running back down the stairs. In his haste, he tripped and fell, tumbling painfully down the hillside. The hairs bristled on the back of his neck as he looked up. There, standing on the steps above him, was the most fearsome creature he had ever seen. It was all claws, teeth, and fur. It moved with otherworldly grace. Its gaping maw and flowing mane dripped with blood and viscera. Before the old priest could scream again, the terrible beast was on him, crushing his skull in one bite. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week, we dive into history's most legendary monsters. 
In telling the stories of their origins, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creations of these beasts, where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose some of humanity's greatest fears. You can find episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythical Monsters for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. Mythical Monsters is about the creatures who have haunted us since the dawn of storytelling. Beasts with fantastic characteristics, crafted in the ancient wonders of the imagination. Were these monsters something these storytellers experienced firsthand? or symbolic of the things that threatened our ancient way of life. On this show, we want not only to capture the beauty of the imagination in inventing some of these monsters, but also uncover what they reveal about ourselves. Our demons are windows to our existential fears, and Mythical Monsters looks to expose these and examine how they differ through different times and different cultures and how, in many ways, they stay the same. Today, we're discussing the Nemean Lion. Slaying this beast was the first of ancient Greek champion Heracles' 12 labors. Completion of these tasks would mean he had atoned for the madness-induced killing of his wife and children and allow him to become a god. The human relationship to the lion has a dual nature. They're both a noble ally and a feared enemy. The lion has meant many things to humans over the years. But in the modern world, it's perhaps most thought of as Dorothy's bashful sidekick from The Wizard of Oz, or as the colorful singing protagonist from The Lion King. But up until a few thousand years ago, lions were more deadly adversary than cute animal companion. To understand this deep connection between man and jungle cat, it's necessary to travel back 200,000 years to the earliest days of Homo sapiens. This was an alien world, one that humans found themselves thrust into with little explanation. In 200,000 BCE, humans awoke in the night to the sound of strange growling in the dark and the sight of glowing eyes watching them from the woods. But by the time a person noticed this, it was already too late. Lions pounced suddenly, shredding with their teeth and claws, breaking skin and bone. These predators, commonly referred to today as cave lions, were likely about 10% bigger than the ones modern humans are familiar with. This means they were over 10 feet long and weighed more than 400 pounds, much too large to travel comfortably down the yellow brick road. But clearly, the tide eventually turned. Any man who could tame these beasts could claim their strength for his own. For this was the ultimate test of nature. 
disease, hunger, and the elements were not as fearsome as the jaws of a lion. It was an apex predator. To an ancient human, it seemed like a far more sophisticated and deadly creature than themselves. So much so that they believed these creatures were divine, and thus associated their rulers, who they also saw as divine, with the lion. The Assyrian king Ashurbanipal's palace of the late 7th century BCE was adorned with scenes of his many lion hunts. Emperor Commodus of Rome in the late 2nd century CE personally fought with lions in the Colosseum while hundreds of thousands watched. This was more than just a show of strength. It was a primal appeal to the genetic memory of every one of their subjects. Lions were the ancient enemy, the bane of man. If a leader could beat even them, then truly he was the greatest among his people. He was more than a man. He was a god. The mythical Nemean lion was no man, nor was he a god, but he was a beast born from the divine, and as such reflected the dichotomy of terror and nobility that lions would symbolize for centuries to come. He began not as a beast, but a cub. Long before Heracles, he was born beneath a full moon. A fateful meeting of two goddesses would decide his destiny and set into motion a series of events that would make history. Selene, goddess of the moon, sat along the shores of the Aegean, watching as the waves struck the Peloponnese. She enjoyed the sight of her rays lighting up the nighttime ocean. She turned at the sound of footsteps, Surprise was hers as she saw her distant relative, the goddess Queen Hera, approaching. Hera held a lion cub, swaddled in her arms. Selene was a titan, a member of the second generation of gods. Hera was an Olympian, a member of the third generation, that had overthrown the titans. Selene resented her very presence. She asked, you have taken everything from me. Can you not leave me in solitude so that I might reflect on what I have lost? The wicked queen smiled, saying, We of Olympus go where we please, dear cousin. Selene glared. She inquired about the lion cub. Hera explained, Why, this is a new relation of ours. Isn't he, darling? He hasn't even been given a name yet. The cub was the latest beast born of the monster Typhon and his queen Echidna. Though not Titans themselves, they were directly descended from Gaia and Tartarus, the first generation of gods. By Zeus's decree, their children were to be scattered across the earth. Selene bristled at this. She knew this decision was rooted in fear. The monsters were as dark as he was light, as fearsome as he was commanding. He saw them as a threat to his power. It was then that Hera got to the point. She felt that she might one day have use for this lion cub. She was a woman, 
And women always had to think one step ahead of their men, after all. She would only trust another woman with its care, and she could think of no better potential mother than Celine. Again, Celine was immune to her flattery, but she felt an immediate connection to this cub. Like her, it was a part of nature. She was the moon, her brother was the sun. Her parents were the earth and the black void of space. And yet the lion was the most magnificent product of nature she had ever seen. A beast, to be sure, but its coat shone golden in the moonlight, and its teeth and claws were as sharp as swords. Every night when she rose in the sky, her rays illuminated all sorts of nocturnal creatures. They were her adopted children. This lion was different. He was a cat, a creature of darkness, but he was the most beautiful cat that had ever lived. And so Celine agreed to Hera's request. Looking to the hills of Greece, Celine spotted a cave in the woodlands of Nemea. Taking the cub in her arms, she whisked him away to this dark corner of the earth. The cave itself looked like the gaping maw of a lion. Stalactites and stalagmites dotted both the ceiling and floor like jagged teeth ready to clamp down upon those inside. In the center was a pool of water with a hole in the ceiling above. When Celine's moon rays shone on it at night, it illuminated the entire cave with blue hues. It was here that she spent the next several years raising the cub. She told him to never trust the gods, to be fierce, but to always maintain the nobility that was his alone. This meant that he could hunt humans. They were the only thing that provided him with enough sustenance, but he had to return to the cave and clean the blood from his coat. With that in mind, she made him bathe every night in the moonlit pool. After a time, it became apparent that her rays had made his skin impenetrable. He had become the perfect creature and the ultimate killer. One night, as Celine brushed out the lion's mane in the pool, he became uncharacteristically pensive. He asked his adopted mother, why must we hide away in this dark corner of the world? If we are descended from the gods, why do we not live with them? She told him that he could lay the blame at the feet of Zeus. The ruling generation of deities thought they were better than all others. They banished anyone that was a threat to their power. The lion growled. Zeus was right to think him a threat, but Zeus was wrong in thinking himself superior. He said, You and I are as powerful, beautiful, and wise as any Olympian. One day, we will get revenge on all the gods and make a new home on Zeus's throne. She smiled, saying, You are kind, my son, but this is our home. We belong among the creatures of the earth. Fighting with the gods leads only to pain and ruin, even if you win. 
She told him that she was content to live with him there in the cave for the rest of time. But that was not meant to be. A decade passed in the blink of an eye, and then one day, the earth shook and the sky parted as Hera made her return. Lightning and rain scoured the countryside as birds flocked to her, wrapping themselves around her in a many-colored cloak. Selene heard the commotion and closed her eyes in regret. Hera entered the cave with her usual regal demeanor, perching daintily upon a boulder. She whisked away a bit of dust, signaling her disapproval of Selene's home. She turned to the lion, saying, My, you have grown. I think it's time your mother made good on her promise to me. Selene tried to object. Her usual proud countenance gave way to one of desperation. She begged, saying, Sister, please, he's still so young. Wait until he is a bit older and larger. He will be of so much more use to you then. Hera merely laughed. She explained that the need would never be greater than now. The king of the gods, her husband, had disrupted the very order of things. He lay with a mortal woman, and this unholy union had led to the birth of a bastard half-breed boy. But she would deal with him in time. First, she had a task for the lion. As the queen told him what he must do, Selene withered in horror. Next, we find out what grim errand Hera has in store for the lion. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Now, back to the story. The Nemean lion, raised by the goddess Selene, was now being forced to do the wicked bidding of the goddess Hera. While Selene wanted the lion to resist his monstrous nature, Hera saw the creature as a tool to be used in her endless schemes. In Greek mythology, all of the gods and monsters were divine, descended from the first spark of the universe. Theirs was a sprawling family history, filled with incest and occasional fraternal cannibalism. Despite this, the Olympians represented order and culture. They represented the things that man had created out of the chaos of reality. The monsters, on the other hand, represented that chaos 
and the terrible reality of the natural world. Though we might hate and fear the Nemean lion and his real-world counterparts, they are the symbol of man's first forays into rising above our primitive nature. Inside the cave, Hera commanded the lion to help her get revenge on her husband, Zeus. He was to go to the nearby temple where the priests made sacrifices to the king of the gods and slaughter all of them. Selene tried to protest, but surprisingly, the lion silenced her. He padded forward toward the queen, stoically accepting his fate. He said, Mother, this is my destiny. You are content to live here, but I am not. We deserve more, and I will win it for us. Selene's heart wrenched. She recognized the same fire in her son that she had seen in her uncle and his siblings, the Titans. They were all dead now. Even worse, she saw something of Zeus in him. She feared that if her lion did this deed for Hera, his monstrous nature would overcome his noble side. In a desperate move, Selene told him to run, to seek a new home in a distant land where the Olympians couldn't find him. But he shook his head. This was his chance to change their status, to take his rightful place in Olympus. He left the cave, making his way to the hill overlooking the temple. The priests wouldn't stand a chance. The lion arrived at the back of the temple, slinking through stone columns and into the inner chamber. It was dark, lit by only a few candles. He licked his lips at the smell of freshly slain lamb. But that would not be the only creature on offer today. As the lion emerged from the darkness behind the altar, the priests gasped in horror and wonder. Some thought that perhaps the beast was a messenger from Zeus, but they were soon proven quite wrong. The lion had no qualms about attacking these men. They were servants of his greatest enemy. He surged forward with his usual fury, slashing one in half with a single claw swipe. He bit another one on the throat, severing his head in one bite. Finally, he bit into the last one's stomach, eating the man's intestines while he continued to scream in terror. When the lion was done, he padded over to the altar, eating the lamb sacrifice for good measure. Above in the sky, Selene watched and saw her beautiful son's golden fur clumped and splattered with blood. She feared this physical transformation belied an internal one as well. Time passed and the lion became the bane of the countryside. Not only was the temple no longer safe, but the lion stepped up his attacks on travelers. His methods were cruel. He would slink onto nearby farms, tearing apart the young and old alike. But he would always leave one maiden shivering with fear in the corner. 
After she had seen her entire family slaughtered, he would take her in his jaws and carry her back to his cave. Once there, he would keep watch over her, knowing the men in her village would be honor-bound to try and save her. Of course, there was no rescue from the Nemean lion. Its razor-sharp claws and teeth tore into any mortal who dared to rise against him. With their men out of the way, he'd eat the maidens, too. Soon, Nemea became a ghost town, an area of rich pastures where no one dared to bring their flock. Years passed, and once more in nearby Tyrans, Hera began to scheme. The city's ruler, King Eurystheus, commanded the priests to make the usual sacrifice, and then he kneeled, crying out to the queen of the gods for aid. She had never answered his prayers quite like this before. A brilliant beam of light traveled from the moon down to the altar, and there, in all her glory, was the goddess herself. Eurystheus recognized her peacock feather coat, and fell to the ground, unworthy. But then she touched his chin, lifting his face to hers. She asked him what he would have of her. Afraid but determined, he stammered out his request. He wanted her to kill his greatest rival. He wanted her to kill Heracles. Hera smiled. She had just the beast for the job. A few days later, Heracles clutched his cloak around his body as he looked across the hills and back at the city. Most men would be angry to have to leave the comfort of civilization for the dangers of the wild. But Heracles hadn't wanted to spend a minute longer in Tyrans than was necessary. He didn't like being around other people. They reminded him of his family. He saw the image of a child crying, saw blood spatter, felt the crunch of bone beneath his fists. He heard his wife's screams. The gods were monsters. He told himself over and over that Hera was responsible for his family's deaths. She drove him mad with her magic. If he died, then she would win. He couldn't let that happen. The oracle told him that he had to serve this cowardly king, Eurystheus. If he did so for 12 years, then he would become a god. And if he became a god, well, then perhaps he would go to Olympus and do to Hera what she had made him do to his wife. But before revenge could be his, it was time to begin his labors. His first act in service to the king was to slay this Nemean lion that had been terrorizing the countryside. Rumors stated that the lion's hide could not be penetrated. Peasant superstition, thought Heracles. That, or they were just trying to excuse their own bad aim and lack of strength. He lifted his bag, bow, and arrows from the ground and slung them over his shoulder. He took his club in his right hand and began on the road to Nemea. 
Meanwhile, the Nemean lion was devouring his latest victim. The beautiful beast was now a hideous monster. His entire coat was splattered with blood. Bits and pieces of his victims dangled from his teeth and dotted his mane. Any noble characteristics he once held were long gone. He was enjoying a shepherd's left leg when a dazzling bright light filled his vision. It was Hera, his master. He hopped to his feet, bowing before her. She approached the lion, turning her nose up at his meal and the clumps of flesh and blood in his mane. Stifling her disgust, she congratulated him, saying, "'My precious lion, you have become quite the fearsome beast. Tales of your ferocity are spreading throughout Greece, but now comes the real challenge.'" The lion bristled at this, saying, "'No man can defeat me. My hide is impenetrable. My teeth and claws are sharper than the sharpest sword.'" I have a divine birthright, and no mortal will stand in my way. Hera smiled at this, petting the lion. She bent down, whispering in his ear, asking, Lion, did your mother ever tell you who your parents are? He snorted confidently, replying, I am descended from Typhon and Echidna, the king and queen of all monsters. My bloodline is unparalleled. Once again, Hera smiled, chiding him. Is that what he thought? Those monsters were the parents of hydras and three-headed dogs, not beautiful lions. No, the lion was Hera's own son, sired by Zeus. She hid him away because Zeus was a liar and an oaf, who sired bastard children by a dozen other women. He wasn't worthy of his true son, his most beautiful son, the lion. And now the chief of the bastards, Heracles, was coming to kill his more worthy brother. The lion would have to be quick and merciless. He couldn't allow Heracles any time to come up with a plan to defeat him. Hera asked the lion if he was capable of such a feat. His fearsome roar was the only reply she needed. As she continued to stroke the beast, an owl watched from across the road. Taking flight, it made its way across the night sky. Heracles was getting close to Nemea as the sun began to rise over the mountains. Helios was pushing his sister Selene from the sky, as he did every morning. As Heracles walked, he heard a rustle of feathers off to his right. Looking up at a tree branch, he saw an owl perched there. He stopped, grunting, then begrudgingly he set his things down. Taking a seat on a boulder, he greeted his sister, though he was never happy to see any of his Olympian relatives. The owl jumped from the tree branch and, with a flash, revealed its true form, the goddess Athena. Heracles told her to be quick. She shrugged. Gods weren't fast or slow. 
They just were. But Athena admitted that Heracles had little time. He was getting close to the Nemean lion. Heracles was surprised that she cared about some beast troubling mortals. But that is why she was there. She wanted to warn him that this was no ordinary beast. It was a monster, the descendant of Typhon and Echidna, and Hera had prepared it to kill him. She had even given it a purpose. She lied and told the beast it was not a monster, but a god, a true son of Zeus. Heracles almost pitied the beast. They were born of divine beings who cared for no one but themselves. Like him, the lion had been manipulated by the gods, propelled onto a path of violence by a lie. The lion was Heracles' reflection, what he might become if his quest for revenge overcame him. Nevertheless, he couldn't stop now. If the lion got in his way, then the lion would fall. Despite himself, Heracles asked Athena for her wisdom. She told him that he should go to the nearby village, the last one before entering the lion's territory. There he could make an offering to their father and perhaps gain his aid in defeating the lion. He considered this and decided to heed his sister's advice. She bade him farewell and wished him luck. Though she was glad that it was he and not she who was the current target of their stepmother's wrath. Next, Heracles and the Nemean lion do battle. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now back to the story. In the same way that ancient Romans derived pleasure from seeing their emperors and gladiators overcome lions in the Colosseum, we today look to the story of Heracles and the Nemean lion as confirmation that man can overcome nature. But to root solely for Heracles is a mistake. Yes, he was likely the more handsome of the two, but the lion was buffeted by cosmic forces beyond his control. Like all of us, he had to question what he might have become had he enjoyed the same privileges as his enemy. The lion lived alone with his mother in a cave. Heracles served in the army and enjoyed guidance from both Zeus and Athena. As the two come into conflict, it's important to have empathy for the lion. Though our ancestors failed to show mercy to these beasts for centuries, champion or monster, human or lion, all living creatures are born into an uncaring world that they didn't ask for. 
there's perhaps a strength in recognizing this commonality and coming together as one. In the case of Heracles and the Nemean lion, the battle has yet to be decided. The results signal not only the fate of our hero and villain, but represents a larger conclusion to the struggle between diametrically opposed cosmic forces. The lion stalked Heracles from the cliffs above its cave. It was true that Heracles was bigger than any man he had ever seen before. That was no matter. This was the lion's territory. He was unstoppable, the ultimate predator. He closed in on his prey. Eventually, Heracles arrived at the mouth of the cave. It loomed over him like the entrance to Tartarus. He could see nothing inside, but he had to proceed. If the lion was in there, then so was his destiny. But just as he began to inch forward, he heard the sound of small rocks skirting down the cliffside. Looking up, he was just in time to see the Nemean lion bearing down on top of him. Heracles quickly twisted to the side, barely missing the lion's jaws. It was huge, bigger than he could have ever imagined. Twice the size of his own body, he drew his bow and fired it into the lion's side. The arrow simply broke against the beast's skin, falling away uselessly. Strange, thought Heracles. Perhaps it was just a bad angle. Continuing to dodge the lion, he drew his bow again, firing it directly at the lion's heart. Heracles frowned. The same thing happened again. He cursed himself. Peasant superstition, indeed. The lion was, in fact, invulnerable. Athena should have mentioned this, but he had no time to complain as the lion again swiped at him. He rolled once more to the side, but this time the lion's claws caught him in the leg. Looking down at his calf, he saw that it was seeping blood. So the lion had impenetrable skin and razor-sharp claws. Athena had really failed to tell him anything useful at all. Looking up, he saw the massive lion creeping its way down the rocks toward him. Its yellow eyes glinted in the morning light. He scrambled to formulate a plan. Quickly scanning the forest floor, he found his club. He picked it up, readying himself as the lion approached. As it bounded forward, fangs bared. Heracles moved with surprising speed. He lifted the club up, bringing it down swiftly on the lion's head. The lion immediately stumbled backward, dazed. It was furious. He had never felt pain before. His vision blurred as his skull burned. He needed an advantage over this demigod. Thinking quickly, he receded into his cave. Pacing in the shadows, the lion watched as Heracles bumbled his way through the lion's home. How was it that such an oaf could be considered a hero? The lion was a much more perfect being. It could see in darkness, whereas Heracles was lost. 
it could climb along the walls and ceiling, whereas Heracles was limited to the ground. Heracles waded into the pool at the center of the cave. Calling out for the lion, he tried to bargain with it. He said that they were like brothers, offspring of the gods who didn't ask to be born. Together, they could overcome the cruel machinations of the world. The lion couldn't help but let out a disapproving snarl. They were nothing alike. Heracles was no better than their father, a brute who killed any who threatened him. Seeing this villain soil his mother's precious water filled the beast with rage. The lion did not allow himself to consider that perhaps this rage was meant to assuage his own guilt. He knew Selene must be watching from among the stars. How long had it been since he bathed in those waters as she taught him? His nobility was all but gone. He had allowed himself to become the blood-spattered monster she feared. But the time for thought was over. He had come too far. Now was his chance to defeat his rival and claim Zeus's throne. The lion dropped down into the water, facing Heracles with a snarl. Heracles once again pleaded with him, but he was beyond saving. Only one of them would be walking out of the cave. The two opponents faced each other, their limbs tightening as they prepared to spring into action. The lion growled, its bloody mane a horrific frame for its enraged face. Its tail swished back and forth in anticipation of the kill. Its claws tapped against the stone. Heracles' naked form began to mimic the beast. He got down on all fours, letting out his own fierce growl. He dug his heels into the mud, preparing to lunge. Brothers or not, it was time to end this. The beast attacked, but Heracles was ready. He leapt up and over the lion, wrapping his arms around its neck and his legs around its sides. He drove his knees into its hindquarters, forcing it to the ground. Its front paws swung uselessly in front of it. Now he had the creature pinned. Heracles gripped his hands around its neck and began to squeeze. Beneath him, the lion was enraged. He had never expected such speed, strength, or cunning from one man. He continued to struggle, but soon realized that this was the end. He was a fool to have ever listened to that witch Hera. Only now did it occur to him that she had been lying. The lion was no god. Now that he beheld his enemy, he could tell that this was a true son of Zeus. As the light faded from his mind, the lion thought of Selene, how he longed to see the moon again. That was his home, surrounded by the other monsters beneath the gentle embrace of the night. The gods could have their Olympus. Hopefully, Heracles would kill Zeus, Hera, and all of their children. 
Heracles continued to squeeze for as long as he could. The lions squirming and roaring eventually stopped. It finally fell limp. A few more minutes and Heracles was sure it was dead. He beheld his fallen enemy. Its fur was beautiful and golden where it wasn't stained by blood. Heracles shook his head as he considered how Hera had corrupted its purpose. Was it a monster by birth or because she had made it into one? Perhaps he could salvage some of what had once made it a noble beast. Journeying back to the front of the cave, he collected his things and then returned to the lion's side. He removed a knife from his bag and began to cut the pelt free. Only when the knife shattered against the creature's side was he reminded of the hide's impenetrability. Just then, a flash of light filled the cave as Athena appeared once more. She sat on a nearby rock, an amused look on her face. She asked, Do I have to spell everything out for you? He grunted, responding, You hardly spelled out anything at all. I figured the whole fight out myself. Though Athena was tempted to point out that this was the whole point of a personal quest, she instead acquiesced and moved to the lion's jaw. Reaching down, she snapped one of its teeth free. She handed it to Heracles and told him to get to work. Back in the palace, King Eurystheus was sitting anxiously on his throne. Rumor had spread that none other than Heracles was spotted at the gate. He'd done it. He'd killed the lion. The king wanted to know how everyone could be so sure. Was there any proof? Surely he hadn't hauled the whole carcass all the way back from Nemea. Just then, the doors opened. A crowd of people entered, and leading the way was Heracles. Eurystheus's jaw dropped as he beheld the victorious hero, adorned in the enormous pelt of a fearsome lion. Its arms and legs were draped down his shoulders and back. As he bowed before the king, he removed the lion's head as you would a hood. Eurystheus cursed his luck. Now, more than ever, the people would want the hero as their king. He would have to send Heracles away on an even more dangerous errand, one he wouldn't return from. He had heard tale of a snake with multiple heads attacking travelers across the bay in Lerna. But the king failed to understand that the lion's pelt on Heracles' head symbolized a synthesis of man and beast. All of the Nemean lion's grace and ferocity was now his. The hero's revenge would not belong to him alone. It would also belong to the most fearsome predator that had ever lived. The Nemean lion met a gruesome end, but as we've discussed, its symbol endured throughout history. 
It would seem that just as Heracles was able to see the beauty in his fallen enemy, so too did real-life humans come to appreciate the majesty of the lion. Lions became one of the most important symbols in the art and architecture of the ancient world, adorning palaces in Babylon, Greece, and Rome, among others. In England, the bronze lions of Trafalgar Square commemorate victory in a heroic battle in the year 1805. In New York City, half a world away from Greece, two stone lions sculpted in 1911 guard the public library. Despite this newfound respect for lions, they've continued to endure more than their fair share of abuse at the hands of humans. The Roman Colosseum alone saw the death of thousands of lions over the centuries. As time advanced, this sport, combined with smaller hunts, meant that the lion's territory was reduced to 20% of what it once was. Famous lion hunts took place as recently as 1898, when the Savo River lion attacks led British hunter J.H. Patterson to have to reenact Heracles' first labor. Today, wild lions are only present in Africa and a tiny part of India, where their population continues to rapidly decline. Groups such as the African Wildlife Foundation work with local villages to prevent conflict with lions. They build better enclosures for livestock that are more difficult for lions to get into, and they offer incentives to communities that demonstrate an ability to live peacefully with local lion populations. Lions are beautiful, and their continued survival means they maintain the delicate balance of the African ecosystem, ensuring that certain herbivore populations don't become overpopulated. In the ancient world, the Nemean lion represented the triumph of man over nature and subsuming that power into oneself. But perhaps in the modern world, new meaning can be gleaned from the tale. The goal isn't to destroy the lion, but to gain respect for other creatures. Regardless, as Heracles goes on to fight hydras and three-headed dogs, the lion remains the most beautiful and tragic of his foes. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythical Monsters, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythical Monsters on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythical Monsters in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Greg Castro. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mythical Monsters.